Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. In today's episode, we chat with John Grossman, president of Classic Hotels and Resorts. Known for properties like the Scott Resort and Spa in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the 75-room historic luxury boutique hotel, La Playa Carmel, located in California. We'll speak with John about his role at Classic Hotels, his interesting past that led him to his current role, and how he and his team approach new property developments from concept and branding to marketing and programming and more. Let's go ahead and dive in. John, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I first came across Classic uh, a few months ago, and it was actually the website for the Scott. Um, I I look at a lot of websites being in the branding world, and uh, when I came across that, I shared it with Jeremy. I was like, man, this is so nice. So the aesthetic and design and brand is just really well thought out really well put together Um, and then come to find out that was one of your properties and started to learn more about classic and who you are and uh, yeah just really excited to talk to you about your journey in this industry and um, kind of where you're going well I appreciate the kind words on the website Um, as you well know it's a it's pretty much a full-time ordeal to uh, to redesign reconcept and then relaunch a website especially across seven properties. And I know that there's, um, companies out there with many more websites, um, to handle at one time, but for us, it was pretty much a a year long journey. And, um, it had been, I think it had been about seven years, six years, I think maybe since the last, uh, time we looked at our website. So it was very well overdue. And, um, and uh and it was it was a fun and arduous process and and luckily we we leaned on um some of our long term uh, design partners and put together a process and interviewed a couple of great firms and had a real tough time deciding who to go with but ultimately ended up working with a firm out of the UK uh which was interesting in its own right you know to deal with the time change and um and uh, see how we could get things done uh, so far away. But it ended up being a, a really great process for us. And I'm really pleased with the outcome. And I appreciate the kind words, especially coming from from uh, from you all and, and the work that you've done. Uh, so thank you. The, the work you guys are doing is very impressive, very uh, inspiring. And, you know, it's definitely a, a labor of love, I'm sure, as you guys have gone through each of those properties and made them all that they can be. And, you know, kind of out of the gate, I think the first question we'd all love to hear is just kind of a little bit about your, your background, um, kind of what has brought you into this industry, you know, your journey of your career path and some lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always uh, interesting to find out how people got to where they are. Um, My path was, was a little odd. I actually, uh, I actually was born into a real estate family and uh, as a result, um, very much wanted to 
carve my own path and and get as far away from from the family business as possible. And I started my career in college after college in uh, San Francisco, working for a, a, a company doing workforce housing uh, on the entitlement development side. And then I took a job in um, Sydney, Australia. Um, and spent five years down there working for a aged care developer, um, again, on the entitlement side of things. Uh, so quite literally, uh, on the other end of the earth and, uh, yeah, you can't get much further away than Australia. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and I was almost lost, uh, to Australia. I really enjoyed my time there and, and, uh, uh, was really, uh, enjoyable and, and compatible uh, outlook on life and, and, uh, had a lot of good friends and the, the work I was doing that was really rewarding. Um, but you know, time has its way of, um, revealing a path and, uh, kind of had a age-based epiphany when I was 30 and, uh, my father who'd started the company had turned 80 and it felt like, um, you know, if I was going to try out, uh, working for him and with him, the time uh was uh was upon me and so that was really what had propelled me to decide to move back which was very difficult and uh <laughs> leaving behind sydney was not easy to do um but i'm glad that i did and it's been 10 years now and we've transitioned the the company and uh uh over the last 5 years or so i've uh, been able to take control of uh a lot of what he had built up and um and then you know, bring it forward and, and put my own mark on things. And that's been really fun and exciting and rewarding um, experience. And so I appreciate uh, that opportunity tremendously. And, and I'm very pleased, uh, of course, that I made the decision to move back. What was what was that transition like uh, between your father running the company and then you kind of stepping in and, you know, what sort of things occurred in that time frame and how long did that take, that transition take? Well, you know, I think... Um, <laughs> I could probably do an entirely different podcast on on the nature of family businesses um and uh and there's probably been a lot written about it but I think for us it was uh, very much a um you know just something that I wanted to try and and he really wanted to try and it, it was a very organic um a process there was nothing that we'd set out to do and there was no finality of of the endeavor it was really just a uh, let's see how this goes, and and if it and if it's productive and fruitful, we'll continue. And and I think that was the subtext that that we had going into it. And um, of course, uh, over his career, he's just amassed a tremendous amount of experience and wisdom that I got to learn from. And um, you know, my eight years or so in in development uh, also brought forth uh, you know different methodologies and approaches to the business. And so I was able to bring to him things that were were different and new as well. And, and I think bringing those, those two, um, um, you know, paths together was something that, um, we were willing to experience and, and it turned out to be a, a really rewarding one for both of us. Um, and I would say that it was certainly not without its, uh, without its bumps in the road, but overall, I think we really, um, um, are so pleased that we did it. I think I could speak on his behalf as well. And, and, um, What's been really exciting too is uh, his willingness and his uh, his ability to have an open mind even at an older age to um, to listen and as long as there's a really good argument and an analysis done um, to why things should be different, what approaches should be taken, how to integrate different you know uh, design approaches or service approaches or 
investment analysis into a given opportunity and and um that i would i would say would be the most valuable aspect of what what he continues to bring to to our relationship is his willingness to uh, to to see things differently than than he had previously seen them and and i think that makes the both of us stronger of course he's slowed down quite a bit but i think overall the company really has benefited from that creative tension and and those different perspectives yeah now when you were in australia what exactly were you doing and um what were some of the lessons you think that helped prepare you for where you are now well what i wasn't doing was surfing enough um, I love surfing. I wanted to, you know, be down there hanging out on the beach, having a good time. And I got to do that a little bit here and there on the weekends, but the work was really all consuming. And the, the company I worked for, which was a startup at the time, um, was very fast paced. And, and, and the, the, uh, founders of the companies were, of the company were just tremendous mentors to me. Um, and, um, I, I just learned a lot about the, the overall, business of real estate and how to put together deals uh, and the value of entitlement in very difficult uh, locations. So the work we were doing was strictly pre-development work. Um, we were renovating and in some cases expanding existing aged care facilities and doing so in um, neighborhoods and suburbs that were significantly anti-development. So tremendous amount of community involvement um, a lot of uh, stakeholder meetings, participation from both the residents in the facilities themselves and the neighbors. And I think that put me in a really good place to understand the intricacies of, of how to uh, manage, maintain, develop, and reposition properties in high, you know, highly supply-constrained markets like Carmel and Laguna Beach. Um, and, you know, I continue to find that to be a, a useful skill set um, and uh, would like to leverage that going forward, certainly. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting how that's kind of that skill set and that knowledge has kind of transferred over into, you know, what you're doing now at Classic. And, uh, you know, as from what we've seen and what we've read, the philosophy behind the the group there is just really, really intriguing. And, uh, you, you know, you can just see the quality that's there and the insights that are there. Um, as far as how that varies from property to property, what are some differences that you guys take into consideration when, you know, obviously each property kind of needs its own voice, its own positioning, um, and, and it has its own challenges. Um, but how are, how are some ways that, you know, the same philosophy of classic kind of carries through, but with subtle differences maybe? Yeah, I think uh, the overarching, uh, uh, I would say, um, culture of the company is one of being, um nimble and adaptive um and responsive i think we are relatively small and we are a family business and we're kind of like an old dinosaur and as it relates to the, the real estate business today and and hospitality right as you all know it's very bifurcated you have owners and then you have managers and in some cases there's an asset manager that's a separate party that's also in the mix and so there's this uh real grind between the two competing concerns. You know, managers want to satisfy their own brand and owners want to maximize their return. And there is oftentimes this us versus them mentality uh, in other uh, 
business relationships within this industry. And I think what I focus on and what I remind our team about all of the time is that we are existing in a very competitive landscape and have very, very few competitive advantages. And one of the things that we do have is this uh, shoulder-to-shoulder positioning, and and it, it allows us to to really have the empathy to understand the other, put it, put ourselves um, in a position to, um, to 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 work more creatively, collaboratively, and and be much more deliberate, and in often cases quicker to make changes. And so, we really subscribe to the notion of making um, lots of strategic mistakes. And we encourage that, and we like to make mistakes that we can either continue to um, refine, uh, or in some cases find a new way of doing, um, but not um, not setting ourselves up for a mistake that takes so much time to unwind if it's not turned out to be the right thing. So you know, there, there, it's a positive um, approach uh, to entrepreneurial activity and and allowing folks within the company to really stake their claim in an idea and push it forward and and have a healthy debate and and not um feel like we're we're going to um do anything so fatal that it's not worth trying. I think that's that's one of the very few things that we have as as an advantage within our structure and one that I, I we carry forward with every single property and every opportunity uh and that's why our properties themselves are 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 different and and really catered to the geography and the location that they're in. Yeah, and to do all of that remotely, um, because you're you're stationed in Sun Valley, Idaho, correct? And your your team is kind of uh, across the West. Um, I guess you were working remotely before it was cool or before <laughs> it was required. Yeah, we uh, so <laughs> so our head office is actually is, is in Phoenix, Arizona, and it has been since the company's inception. We also have a smaller satellite office in Santa Monica, which is where I actually uh, had worked for about seven years. And we have a regional office in Boise, Idaho as well, uh, where we have a a couple other actually branded properties and a mixed use and and home building operation. But the, um, (laughs) when I had moved, uh, when I had made the decision to move away from Southern California, we implemented, um, you know what? What then was <laughs> pretty forward-looking for our company, which was the notion of you know outfitting our offices with video conferencing capabilities. And we've been doing Zoom meetings now for like I feels like I think it's almost three years. And so when the when the uh, pandemic hit and we were all forced to be working from home with the stay-at-home orders, um, it was almost like nothing had changed. And in fact, I think it's empowered the rest of our team to uh, you know conduct business in a way that was already comfortable, but now doing it to leverage, you know, the, the conveniences that they have at home. So it's, you know, it's a situation that no one wanted to be in, of course, but um, we were uh, uniquely positioned to be able to transition seamlessly into what we, what we all are facing today. Yeah. Well, it's an easy transition for you guys, (laughs) for sure. Um, As far as like the you know, for those of you listening, uh, I'd highly encourage you to go ch- check out their hotel properties and whatnot uh, at classichotels.com. But, you know, as you look through uh, your portfolio of properties, you know, each one has a very unique and very impressive, you know, aesthetic and design to it. Um, you know, I'd love to kind of dig in and kind of unpack what 
that process looks like, um, the brand strategy behind each property and, and how you guys go through that, make sure there's alignment there and how the branding kind of, uh, will probably influence a lot of the development or rebranding of a property when you're going through that process. Yeah, I think, um, it's something that, uh, you know, we transitioned, uh, our outlook to over the last, I don't know, five or six years. And it's not uncommon in the industry, of course, but to, um, you know, to start with the brand story and then, and then build the, the brand itself and the design around it. Um, and, you know, I, I think, um, most of that of course is influenced by the location of the property and then the, um, inherent virtues of the, of the buildings themselves. Um, and, you know, I think authenticity of course is something that has become kind of a, a red herring a lot, a lot these days. And, and people are, are throwing that word around quite a bit. And so I'm hesitant to even, to, uh, even bring that up, but I think, uh, what we try to do is never make a property something that it's not. And uh, we, uh, we also try to kind of either add to or, or peel back from the, the property itself, what we think the true essence of it should be. And that also helps not only from branding and storytelling perspective, uh, but it also, uh, you know, as much as possible reduces our, the cost implications of whatever repositioning that we, it is that we're going to be undertaking. And so, you know, none of this is rocket science, but I think what, what the, what we have seen, of course, is that the incremental value associated with this, the sum of the individual parts. And so as, as the story goes and the design develops, and then we, we move on past the model room and into construction, we ended up kind of layering on and, and, um, increasing the, the tapestry of the story and the, and the brand, and then have this, um, added luxury of, again, working shoulder to shoulder as investor and manager, we, we were able to implement and, and then maintain in an ongoing fashion, the, the brand story through our service culture. And so, you know, again, this is not, um, this is not new or necessarily innovative. It's really, I think in the, um, execution that we're able to, um, separate ourselves out a little bit and, um, you know, punch above our weight as it were, uh, just by, you know, sheer will and focus and attention to detail. And so, it does become complicated because each property really does have its own uh, identity and ethos. Um, and the managers of each property really have a lot of latitude to continue to refine and, and to implement the brand itself. And so that's exciting as, as it's something that becomes sort of a living organism unto itself. Yeah. Uh, the intentionality really comes through and uh, we all know that first impressions uh, are a big deal, but it's just a, a really clear picture of how big of a deal it is. Because when, when you see one of your brands, you can tell there's a lot of thought and intentionality behind it, um, which speaks to all the other aspects of the property. So I, I think one, one thing I would point out is, um, and again, this is something that others have, you know, used to great advantages establishing a relationship and then nurturing it and, and working with a similar team over time in, and, uh, as much as I enjoy working with different, um, consultants, um, coming back to touchstones 
especially on the branding side for us has been valuable. You know, I've been working with Rinker Design uh, for six or seven years now, and it's gotten to the point where, you know, I can I can show them a vision for the property, walk them through it, and I mean, you know, a couple of days later we're we're going back and forth with design ideas and concept ideas, and he's able to almost read my mind now, and that's that's a really a powerful thing, and and to maintain and, and nurture that relationship has, and then extend it to some of the other folks that he's been able to bring into the picture. I mean, he he really, for example, took the lead in in bringing us to uh, creating the right group of folks to work on the rebrand for the websites and even the video project themselves, and he's really been helpful in kind of pulling together a cadre of individuals that fits the, 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 the way in which we work together. John, I'd love to dig in also to, uh, I know we had previously talked about some of the roadside motel concepts that are, um, that you're working on and those sounded really interesting. Um, as well as like the, the kind of the tertiary markets, like lesser, smaller towns, um, you know, with college presence and things like that. And, kind of what the future of, of that looks like for, for classic moving forward too. Yeah, that's been really a, a fun one. We just, um, we just bought a 1962 Howard Johnson, which is nowadays in, but it was built originally as a Howard Johnson on route 66 in Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, which is uh, right across uh, from the entry to Northern Arizona university and uh, about 45 minutes away from, um, Grand Canyon. And so, um, you know, Flagstaff also is only about a two hour drive from our head office. And so, you know, it allows us to have close access and direct access to that property. But I think what, um, what the, the tertiary market, uh, uh, focus for us has been is, 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 you know, looking at places that are often overlooked and recognizing, that um, because of the way media works today and Instagram and all of the different ways in which people consume their understanding of, of how they want to spend their time, money, and, and, uh, and uh, enjoy themselves, that, you know, elevated design and elevated branding experiences um, are, not no, are no longer reserved for, for, for large cities or hip neighborhoods in large cities. And, um, and I think that there's a real opportunity for people to be able to take those road trips, you know, from whatever, whatever town that they're in and have an experience that, uh, is elevated and interesting and unique and, um, and speaks to them in a way that, um, a lot of the smaller towns, uh, haven't yet been able to. And so it's again, something that we're seeing, you know, as a quote unquote trend, certainly, but, um, I would, and I feel very strongly that this is, this isn't going to be a flash in the pan trend. I think that as people, um, you know, seek refuge outside of large cities, especially I think in, in our post pandemic world, um, you know, there, 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 there will be a increased awareness of the world around us and opportunities for people to get out and about, um, and having these, these smaller, uh, towns as gateways, uh, to these other experiences, um, we think is, is really fun and exciting. Um, you know, and, and I guess personally speaking, I grew up in Idaho in a small town and so I'm kind of primed for that. Perhaps it's just me, you know, uh, saying out loud what I feel within. Um, but 
um, having been in this business now for a little while, um, there's some other uh, data points that I've been able to, uh, to to point to 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 really fortify this this strategy and approach. And um, um, I, we're really excited about the project that we're working on. So it's going to be called um, the High Country Motor Lodge, um, and it is uh, going to have a really fun um, kind of a Nordic spa component, which we also um, you know the 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 focus on wellness um, and kind of a little bit of a uh, kind of a little brother nod to to our neighbor in Sedona, of course, which is very well known and very high end and has a lot of um, important and, and powerful wellness and spa opportunities. Um, you know, tipping our hat to them a little bit in a, a bit of a a grittier fashion, we're going to do a, a, a these four little tiny houses that are spas or I should say saunas and then have a communal hot tub and a cold plunge. And, um, you know, it's not going to be like a treatment room and a, and a whirlpool and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and kind of a traditional spa experience. It's going to be a bit more Spartan, uh, but you'll have your own fire pit and seating area. And it's going to be something that connects you to nature in a way that a lot of the spas and the experiences in other places don't yet do. And, and, um, and also, you know, coming out of the Grand Canyon, you know, you're, you don't want to be right back in a building. So having that connection to nature and having one foot in and out, um, of, of nature and, and having a good transitional experience, we think will lend itself to people, um, feeling very comfortable and, and responding well to it. So we'll, we'll have to get you out there to, to have a look around when it's done. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Um, the revival of the roadside motel, I think is just an awesome concept and I know you guys will do it well. Um, one of the questions we ask all of our guests, the, the title of the podcast is future hospitality. Um, what do you think will shape uh, the future of the industry as a whole? What do you think is going to influence where it's headed? Well, I think one thing is, uh, is obvious and one is, two things really. So one is obvious and one is unknown. The obvious one, of course, is the rise in the sharing economy and, um, and, uh, the alternate accommodation, you know, Airbnb, um, and the stratification within that. So you have Airbnb plus and stay Alfred and Lyric and Sonder and all these different ways in which you can, you can stay in a, in a, in a shared space, uh, obviously privately or, or shared, but, um, um, you know, how they respond and how they adapt and how, how the consumer um, chooses to continue uh, utilizing that, that uh, type of accommodation coming out of the pandemic will be, will be an interesting and telling sign as it relates to the future of hospitality. And that segues to my, my second point, which is the unknown one, is how people, have, how people choose to travel after, after things settle in, um, whether we find a vaccine or, or we... We have herd immunity as people have been talking. Um, I, I really am interested and um, curious about the lingering effects, the psychological lingering effects and, and communal lingering effects of, of, of the way in which people will choose to interact once we are able to get back to interacting in person. And, um, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little uh, concerned that, you know, people might, uh, I, I think there's been, a, there's been a, 
what is it? What are the people coining it? Revenge travel. So this, the idea that people are going to snap back to, to travel really, really quick. <laughs> and I want to know who these revenge travelers are and what it is that makes them tick and what they're, what they're thinking and feeling. And then what it is for people that aren't going to be jumping right back to travel. And maybe there's going to be a big cohort of people that we don't know a whole lot about that, that have decided to, in fact, not travel as much or travel differently. And so that's what I'm really concerned about. As it relates to the future of hospitality, this is probably the most interesting and unknown aspect, I think, that we have before us. Um, and um, I think there will be a lingering and long-term um, after effect, uh, subtle or, or otherwise, that will influence the way that people choose to to spend their time and money. And, um, you know, one of our, again, one of our benefits is a small as a small business is that we that we have the ability to be flexible and adaptive and react uh, more quickly than larger businesses. And so that's, I'll be looking to see what people do and think, and then we'll be uh, working quickly to try and implement a plan to appeal to them. And if need be reposition and, and uh, undertake additional renovations into the future. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's our goal. And that's our, our, again, our point of difference. I love that term re- revenge travel. <laughs> this cracks me up. Yeah, I think it's I think all those things you're talking about is something the industry is just kind of waiting to see. Only time will tell and uh, it's something we're going to have to learn and adapt to like you said. So, um definitely some big challenges but big opportunities as well. So, um the the final question here and kind of you know, like Dustin said, it's a question we like to ask all of our guests is related to the future of hospitality, but more uh, specifically to you and, and personally, uh, you know, what things excite you about the future, um, whether it's personal things or things with related to your business or the industry, what are some trends or technology or uh, upcoming um, developments that you're really excited about? What I'm excited about is, um, is just to, to see how it is that people Again, I mean, it kind of dovetails back to the comment I just made about how people get back to it. And I think what was very exciting to me coming into this pandemic, of course, was is the way in which the, um, independent uh, uh, hospitality, and that includes, um, you know, um, restaurant and nightlife, were all being really um, commingled in, in into into uh, unique spaces. Um, and there's lots of uh, great companies and designers that you all know that have have uh, really dazzled us and um and some of it ends up being um fad based and other others end up being um very much um you know long term and entrenched within the way that we we like to interact and so um i am I'm, I'm still excited by by the things that we saw coming to fruition as as we you know i mean it seems like forever ago but even three or four months ago the things that we were doing and seeing were excited by I, I I don't see them going away entirely, and what I mean by that is, is is these spaces and experiences that that are that are um, that need to be consumed by by an in person experience and and cannot be replicated elsewhere. And so, when you go into a space that is so beautiful or so uh, interesting or so engaging that you 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 feel like you want to be there and linger, you know. Um, I think those are the things that are going to continue to be exciting for people um, as they as they choose to travel and as they choose to 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 spend their time and and um, um, 
I, I just I, I'm 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 hopeful that, that that is a sustained um entity and that there's there is there is room for goods, you know, design and branding forever. I really think there will be. And I think that um um I'm not necessarily suggesting that there's going to be tremendous innovation. I think it's going to be further refinement and, um, and um, you know, having a voice and a, and a perspective that really um, connects with people. And so, you know, these are kind of nebulous things to be thrown out there. I know it's kind of low hanging fruit for me to say, but um, you know, I, I think it's my job to um, be aware of who it is that are, that are most uh, accurately and, and effectively telling these stories and, and then to um, uh, seek them out and work with them and 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 have a, a collaborative approach and and come to something that that um, that is is really um, authentic and resonant. And so, um, you know, uh, if I if I knew the answer already, I'd be doing it. And I and I know that I don't. And I know that it takes uh, you know kind of a, a collection of, of of thinkers and doers. And I'm just uh, happy to be a, a humble participant in that. And and give people a voice and, and an opportunity to make their mark. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're huge fans of what you're doing and can't wait to continue to watch as things develop and uh, come to fruition. It's, it's going to be awesome. So how can people keep in touch with you and uh, learn more about classic? Well, you can hit us up at our website. Of course, I will say as a, as an outro, we, um, we have been called classic hotels for, um, I think it's about 25 years and uh we are actually um pretty excited to announce that we're working on a rebrand so um keep an eye on the space uh the rebrand is going to be very much um a nod to the nature of our family business and will be um connected to the founders my folks and um i think it's a really a, a fun way of course for us to tell our story internally to all of our associates but but um, also connect ourselves to the folks that are um, going to be visiting with us so they understand who we are and what we stand for. And so um, classichotels.com is our website right now, but when we relaunch, you'll be redirected to the new site and the new name, and that should be in the next, uh, I'd say, in the next month or two. Well, John, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Take care, guys. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Future Hospitality and on Facebook by searching for Future Hospitality.